This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome to another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider. Of course, as you always hear me say, there is no one better when it comes to, in my opinion, breaking down Michigan basketball than my guy, Tim McCormick, former standout at the University of Michigan before going on to the NBA, now offering his great commentary, whether it's NBA basketball over on uh, over on Fox Sports Detroit, covering the Pistons and offering his analysis there, or a college basketball, where you have the A-10 tournament this week, don't you, Tim? I do on Thursday and Friday, and it's it's going to be wide open for sure. Yeah. And and Sam, you know, it's great to talk to you. And every week we start out, and I break down the game and the matchup, and plot the course for the upcoming game. And and I'm ready to do that today. But beforehand, I, I um I want to hear your thoughts on the Illinois game. You've got immense knowledge and insight. You talk to fans. I, I want to hear your thoughts first on the loss to Illinois. So, Sam, break it down for us. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, look, I'll, I'll start with the absolute obvious, the same thing that the players and that Juwan said after the game, uh, and I give them credit for absolutely owning it. They said, we did not match their physicality. Juwan mentioned that how physical they were really, really sped them up. I thought it was particularly impressive how they seemed to to really smother Mike Smith, whether it was uh, Frazier I thought was – uh, particularly effective in that regard. I, I just, to, to me, a team that shares the basketball as well as Michigan shares it to come out of this game with four assists tells you that they were relegated to one-on-one basketball, not completely off kilter. And then on the glass, I mean, that that to me is maybe the biggest measure of intensity, of effort, of focus, of physicality is what is the what's the rebounding margin? And you had Illinois come in and re, out rebound Michigan 42 to 26 in this game. Uh 22 second chance points in this contest could not keep them off the glass. So for as much credit as I give Hunter Dickinson early in the game uh particularly in really guarding I thought guarding Kofi Coburn as effectively as he had guarded Trace Jackson Davis and Luca Garza before that uh, in this game, it you know, they miss shots and they go get them. They go get them off the rim. And meanwhile, Michigan on the other end, they shoot a shot, they miss it, and they don't, and there's just no offensive rebound to speak of. So I'm not making any excuses, Tim, before I, I pass it over to you when I say I personally feel like this this was the game that I pointed to heading into this series of games. This sandwich game, the middle in the five game stretch. They're coming off a road trip to to Indiana. So you got the travel. You got the quick turnaround. You got a hungry team. Maybe there was a little bit of complacency without Io being in there. But I just feel like this was that that time, that game, where their legs or lack thereof caught up with them a little bit. You see a guy airball a, a free throw, for instance. I think that's indicative of that. Taking nothing away from Illinois, I just think they came and socked it to Michigan, stuck it to them. But I am. this was a complete aberration for Michigan in my eyes. Interesting. And, and I agree with, with the vast majority of what you said right on. Um, I heard somebody say 
I'll just throw that tape away and start looking ahead to Michigan State. And I've got a completely um, contrarian view of that loss, the, the blowout to Illinois. I thoroughly enjoyed the game. Okay, let me say it again. What? I enjoyed the game. Wow. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners turned it off when the deficit approached 30. Um, I was personally mesmerized. I took notes. I paused it. I replayed it. Um, it was fascinating to me. And, and here's why. Sam, I'm sure you know this because um, you're very connected, but many of our listeners may not. NBA teams and high-level college teams regularly perform what's called a self-scout of their own team. You know, um, let, let's say, and I'm sure Jim Harbaugh and his staff, they have that with their analyst, right? And, yep. and in a self-scout, what you do is you create a game plan and a scouting report against your own team to provide insight into how your opponent's going to prep for your game. Um, as an example, if Phil Martelli has the Indiana scout, Howard Isley or Saudi Washington may watch film of, of Michigan and pretend that they're an opponent to give insight. And, and so for the last two weeks, Sam, I've been kind of doing that myself while I watch Michigan play, performing a little bit of a self scout to, to get a, an opponent's perspective. And here's a couple of things that I came up with. And I'd love to hear what you think. If I was playing Michigan, I would load up to stop Franz and Isaiah livers on the wings. There are Michigan's best players. Um, I don't think either one is a great one-on-one -on -one guy where you just give them the ball and get out of the way and they're going to get buckets, kind of like an Iota Sumnu. Um, they're, they're relying on a well-run offense to score. Franz is right-hand reliant on his drives. He can make threes, but he's pretty streaky. And Isaiah Livers is a pure shooter. Um, he can score in transition, but I would cover him with toes on the three-point line and don't leave him, and I think he can be contained. Remember, don't leave him. That's the whole key. The next thing, when I was self-scouting Michigan, uh, Michigan needs Hunter Dickinson to own the lane. And, and the goal is he'll create double teams. In my self-scout, I noticed he overpowers opposing centers with his size and his girth and his, his power. But he, he really needs a double team. Um, he's, he's an angle scorer. We've talked about that a little bit. He needs to get his shoulders parallel to the backboard and to use the glass. He is so good finishing off the glass. But if you make him come over the top, his effectiveness just plummets. And so when he's not scoring, Michigan's offense can really get stagnant. And if you've got a defender that doesn't need help like Kofi Coburn, that's an issue for Michigan. That came true last night. And next up, and maybe the biggest, if I was playing Michigan, I, I wrote this down um, after the, I think it was the Wisconsin game. I would pick up Mike Smith and Eli Brooks full court. I, they're good players. Okay, I'm not saying they're not. They're very good players, but they're not great players. And Eli's had a little slippage over the last few weeks. Michigan's strength is at the three, four, and the five. One and two is a concern to me. Remember, they're good and they're having nice years. But if you want to beat Michigan, aggressive physical defense can take Mike Smith and Eli Brooks out. So let me stop there. And and I, I want to hear your thoughts. No, I, I think that's I think it's spot on. I think getting to Isaiah, I think he is such a good shooter, such a good shooter, and I, I think that he can successfully get leverage on a lot of opponents because you have to have to really respect his jump shot that much. But when you run into a team that has uh, a 
you know, players athletic enough to step on your toes on the three-point line and still recover and stay in front of you. That, that leverage doesn't mean as much. What I like to see him do is something we've seen him do at times, but against Illinois, I think he's going to have to do more of. He is, he is, I think, effective now at dribbling into a post move. You know, mm-hmm. As opposed to trying to beat a guy off a dribble, dribble into a back down and try to establish yourself that way. Or, he, or maybe they post him up in a game like this where Hunter Dickinson is not you know, going to win that matchup physically. I think Isaiah Livers, with his back to the basket, has become an effective threat. And it is, to me, it's going to be tough for him to get clean looks against Illinois from the perimeter. But I think he can have an advantage if you use him in a post. And maybe he can compensate a little for some of what you aren't getting from, from Hunter in this game. Because, look, flip side of it is why they can't, you know, Hunter's not commanding a double team, and that that affects Michigan uh, offensively. You look at the other end of the floor, and like I said, if, as long as Hunter can stay on the floor, I think it is imperative. Uh, you know, to, to me, when I watch this matchup, imperative that he be on the floor of this match because he does a good job against Kofi Coburn, and I think that can help limit some of their effectiveness, especially on the glass. But uh, unfortunately, Hunter had his minutes uh, diminished last night because he got into foul trouble. That's one of the things to your point about uh, to your point about um, uh, Zay Livers. And then to your point about Mike Smith, all right, you're right. You can pick them up full court. You can bother them bringing it up the floor, but this is where your other players come in. You got to run some interference. You know, give them some screening in the backcourt to allow them some some freedom to get up the floor. Don't rely on them to with with quick quickness or dribbling to uh, to get that done. If a team is playing you that way, much like you give some leverage, you know, give some freedom in the half court with screen action. Do the same thing in the backcourt to kind of keep you in the flow a little bit more than they were able to last night. Yep, you're exactly right, Sam. And and let me reiterate, when I said I really enjoyed the game, from a technical student of the game standpoint, um, all of these things that I've been noticing, everything that I, I, I imagined Illinois was doing. And so it was really interesting to watch their scouting report come true. Um, another thing about the Illinois game, um, I was I was watching the the – the, the different counters that Michigan tried to make. And, you know, out of 20 games this year, 17 of them have been excellent. Um, Oakland, Minnesota, and now Illinois were subpar. 17 out of 20 is exemplary in, in terms of professionalism. So as I watched the game last night, I kept thinking that, that a real strength of this Michigan team is their mental wellness. They're very solid. They're mature. They're highly motivated. And, and so after Wisconsin, Ohio State, Purdue, Iowa, Michigan was not ready to go last night. I, I think that they would have been more ready if Io DeSumdu had played. One mm-hmm. hour before the game, mm-hmm. the team found out. I think they assumed, oh, okay, Io's out, we got this. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Illinois is really good. They're, they're tough and they're physical. And at least defensively, Kofi is the shack of the Big Ten. He's a real problem for Hunter. Um, it was pretty even, I'll say that. But Curbelo and Hall and Frazier, those guys are aggressive. They're outstanding support guys. Yeah. And and I, I'll say this right now, I think Illinois loses at Ohio State this weekend. Okay, so they are beatable. And and karma is really big in sports. And I, I have this vision 
that Michigan and Illinois are going to play in Indy in the I Big so. Ten championship game, and nothing, nothing, Sam, would make me or make me a happier guy. Oh my uh, goodness! <laughs> so, so to, to use uh, an inappropriate comment, let's take a pause. Okay, and I want to I I hear what you think about that. Well, uh, another thing that, that you mentioned, you mentioned all those other guys, and I think it's really important because I, I don't want it to get lost again. And I t- actually tweeted this. You, know, you look at, at Kofi Coburn's first five looks at the basket, and he was getting frustrated. I mean, Hunter, Hunter was there, but you're going to nullify Hunter on the glass somewhat. You know, being being so concerned about – Kofi Coburn and Kofi Coburn is such an effective guy at following his own shot. But I just feel like in this game, and you and the stats really bear this out, Tim. Look at the rebounding numbers for the other guys. Look at the rebounding numbers for the guards. And you had, I mean, look, in a game like this, with guys like that that are crashing the glass, you can't get caught ball watching like their guys were. You to me, uh, in a contest like this, Tim, uh if if you're a, a coach. And you're showing the film, you're saying, hey, guys, when we say box out, that's not just talking about front court players. That's everyone. So you're talking about lessons from the game, things you can take away, things that you're going to see in the Michigan State game, right? Don't get Guards don't get caught ball watching against Michigan State because they will make you pay, much like they did at times against Illinois. So let this be a lesson to you. That was another thing that stuck out to me in this contest. Good stuff. Good stuff, Sam. So, so I'm going to share with you, um, what Juwan Howard's message is first practice after the Illinois game. Okay. When I was a member of the New York Knicks, my coach was Pat Riley. And I'm 100% convinced that the foundation of Juwan Howard's coaching philosophy and culture is based on the teachings of Pat Riley, his mentor. And, and every single day, not some days, but every single day, Pat Riley preached, we must play with force. Okay. He used the word force all the time. And I can guarantee that that in practice, Jawan is going to use that term 10 times today. And, and, and here's how I know that Michigan was not out-talented. They were not out-schemed. They were, were not tricked. They lacked force. And Illinois devised the exact game plan to beat Michigan that, that I bet the Wolverine coaches knew was coming. Remember, they do a self-scout. They knew exactly what their, their weaknesses and concerns are. And others have tried it. But Michigan's been too good when they bring energy. So th- there are there are some really important numbers that jump out. Okay, the first one is on the glass. Rebounding is effort. It's box outs. It's chasing balls. Illinois was faster. They had more anticipation. They had more energy. Okay, the other one, four assists for the game. You mentioned it earlier. That that just blew me away. And the foundation of a well-run offense. First and foremost. Hard cuts, sharp, decisive cuts with purpose. Michigan's cuts were three-quarter speed. They, they, I call them banana cuts. They're not straight line really hard. They're bananas. Um, the, their screens were passive. Their drives were lethargic and without purpose. The offense was doomed to fail. And the reason is Michigan dribbled, and they played one-on-one. That's not them at all. And then also with Livers and Wagner having nine points total, I don't even see how that happens. I've got them on my all Big Ten team right now, and I'm going to keep them there. But as the leaders of the team, they didn't they didn't do their job last night. Um, as a veteran player, you can develop a read on your team. You you should have the the, the finger on the pulse 
of whether your guys are ready to go. And they knew that their players were not ready and they've got an obligation as the best players to take over and they didn't. And it's okay because it's a learning experience. I bet the next time that they will. Right. And it's, it's important uh, for me to, uh, you know, kind of come off of the, or to follow up the point that I made about me feeling like maybe the legs were a little bit of, of an issue. They got to find a way to get them back. Right. Because, because there's no, you can't afford, you know, as a lead out, there's no rest day. There's no mental break. There's no, we're going to take it easy and practice today. Play Thursday, Tim. So, I mean, really you're right back at it. Uh, the, this is a, a mental thing. Now you talk about, uh, a want to physicality effort, uh, you know, will, will is the word that I'm looking for. This is one of those times where you got to will yourself through your veteran players, especially as they're preparing for a team that is coming in. Michigan state is up for Michigan anyway, but they're desperate now. I mean, this is a, a, a two decade streak of playing in the NCAA tournament. That's on the line. They have got to have these games, well, at least one of them. So they, this yeah. is, this is it for them. You're going to be seeing a, you know, a rabid dog, so to speak, uh, coming in the Chrysler center. You got to match that intensity in the way, uh, in a way that you didn't against Illinois. Yeah, you know, you're, you're exactly right. And it's going to be the way this rivalry should be. And, and Sam, can't make one other point before we dive deep into Michigan State? Absolutely. So I was thinking about the, the fact that the Illinois game was a wake-up call for all of us. Um, and it, it got me thinking a little bit, well, how can you not be fired up to play a top-five team on your court on national TV? And, and it got me thinking about what is the life of a Michigan basketball player like right now? They spend 20 hours per day in their apartment. They get to spend four hours at Chrysler. The only connection they have to the outside world is social media. They don't have any friends. They don't have girlfriends. They don't have family. They, they don't get to walk into class or into the bookstore or get some ice cream. They can't walk through the Diag on campus. So, so their connection to the outside world is, is what TikTok and Twitter and Instagram and <laughs> right. and, and I mean th- th- yeah. that's not that's not great and it, it's actually a bad place to go if you're a ball player and to read all that stuff good and bad you know as an example you and I are guilty of this because we promote the 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 fact that Isaiah and Franz are all Big Ten players and possible lottery picks and Michigan's better than Baylor and they're a number one seed for sure and they're going to win the Big Ten tournament Sam. I've relaxed as a Michigan basketball fan. I expected a big win. I, I, when I saw Iowa's out, I just thought game over, right? Mm-hmm. And so why would our players be any different? And, and, and so these are college students living in isolation. They need some fresh air. They, they need to go to a frat party on Saturday night, but they can't go anywhere. And so I completely give them a pass on the Illinois game. And, and if you're thinking big picture – originally when I was looking at the, the, the schedule for the beginning of the month, I figured Michigan would beat Illinois and split with Michigan state. Um, this is an opportunity for a recharge. The wattage at Michigan's practice today will light up the Chrysler center alone from their players. Um, and, and I think this could be a catalyst could really lead to a big run for Michigan. You hope so. You think back to 1989, uh, it, it, I know a lot of references were made to that from the Illinois perspective, uh, still bitterness over the over the Sean Higgins putback, but you look back in that regular season finale, you know, senior day at the Chrysler Center, and the flying Illini came in and blew Michigan out. 
Uh, I've heard T. Mills talk about it. Glenn Rice has talked about it. Sean Higgins has talked about it. I mean, so many of those guys have talked about that game uh, and the catapult, the springboard that it was uh, into the tournament. Of course, you had a coaching change, but the springboard that it was for them into the tournament. So maybe this can be that for this team. You called it a wake-up call. Maybe it is that. That hey, you know, uh, not to say that it was humbling, but to to you can't get complacent. You can't ever get complacent, no matter how good you are. You can't get complacent, and that's what I took from Isaiah Livers' comments last night, uh, because he said, you know, hey, we have been focused all season. We were excited for this game. Uh, we anticipate this game. You, he mentioned the IO point that you made that we found out maybe we maybe we we uh, relaxed a little when he wasn't there, but you can never afford to do that, especially with a team this good. But, Tim, uh, culture. Culture says that, you know what, you you own when you don't perform. You hold one another accountable. You don't make excuses. You support one another. It's about the guys in that in that locker room. And, a to me, a guy who is very indicative of this program's culture is a guy that maybe Michigan, many Michigan fans wouldn't recognize. But if you follow Twitter – You've seen his presence. If you look at the bench, you've heard his presence talking about C.J. Baird. He's going to be our our guest this week. Yeah, Sam, I um I was really excited to have C.J. as our guest because he is indicative of this program. He's a winner. He's really smart. And when you listen to him speak, you're going to find out that that Michigan basketball players are getting a Ph.D. level education every day. You know, I've sat in film sessions with Michigan basketball in the past and the level of teaching um, they could walk into any high school job and be a successful coach just based on scouting reports and what they've learned. I think you're going to get a real insight into a side of basketball of being a walk-on that, that maybe our listeners have never, never experienced. Right. So before we get into this interview with, with CJ, it's pre-recorded uh, folks, a little technical difficulty because he's on his way to practice uh, so bad phone connection, but you know, hey, look, he has to go to practice. We don't want to disrupt that flow. But just know that bear with it. You know, listen hard, pay attention. Some great insight into the team. Some great insight into their process. Some great insight into Michigan State. A little technical difficulty, like I said, but uh, just bear with us and be sure to stay tuned for CJ Beard. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we are back here on the Michigan Basketball Insider. When you hear culture and the Michigan basketball program and those two things attached, we've come to know it to mean the entire 
roster. There is no greater ambassador, no greater voice to lend to that than one of the guys on the team, one of the crew that you always hear from on that bench, CJ Bear. CJ, how are you? I'm doing well, Sam. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so CJ, um, you know, on this podcast, we've had legends and outstanding players uh, for the last two years. We've had Cassie Russell and Glenn Rice and Rudy Tomjanovich, a ton of NBA players. We've had announcers like Bill Raftery and Jay Billis and Dick Vitale. I am as excited to have you as a guest today than any of the aforementioned names because I know what it means to the Michigan basketball program that, that, that walk-ons are very, very important. Um, you're a, a key component, you're an accounting major, and you're a senior. So, so CJ, um, I played with walk-ons like Rob McFarland, Ron Gibbis, and Gerard Rudy. Nobody knows those names at all, but they worked so hard and seldom saw the court and didn't get their names in the headlines. Um, for our listeners, thanks for all that you do. And, and what is it like to be a walk-on for the University of Michigan? Um, it's a really special opportunity. Um, I know a lot of people, including myself, have dreamed for uh, being a part of Michigan's program in any capacity since I was a kid. And uh, becoming a walk-on is kind of something that's even looked down upon um, outside of programs. But like you said, it's really valued within Michigan's culture, and that's something that Coach Howard does really well. Starters um, to the last guys on the bench, meaning the walk-ons, uh, he treats us all the same. He really has us. He coaches all of us really well. He makes sure we're all improving at our at our best rate. And um, I think something that being a walk-on in Michigan has been really special is I've gotten to play with um, multiple NBA players like Duncan Robinson, Mo Wagner. Uh, a lot of these guys have been great, great talents. And it's really helped me improve my game and learn more about basketball and become more attuned with what it's done for me and what, it becomes, what it's become for Michigan. So um, being a walk-on just in general, you kind of get to experience uh, those NBA players play against the best. Uh, really improve yourself day by day. And uh, another thing you really do is you really become part of something bigger. Um, as a walk-on, you really have to be a team-first guy and understand that you may not see the court very much, but you really have an important role in the program. Uh, make sure we're ready for these games. And uh, that's extremely important preparation, uh, understanding the scouting report. That's something that a walk-on has a pivotal role in this program. And uh, I really feel valued by the coaching staff for that role. So, CJ, you're on the team, and you um, had a tough game against Illinois. Um, you know, what What was the feel like going into that game, pregame warm-ups, Juwan Howard's speech? Um, you know, is, is Illinois a better team than Michigan, or, you know, did, did we just see uh, an aberration? Um, I, I really do think we just saw an aberration yesterday. Um, Illinois is a fantastic team. Uh, they're a really good program. They're a really good scouting report for, for us, too. Um, I think it's just a couple of adjustments we need to make. I think we came out flat to start the game. Um, a little bit of the intensity was high for the first few minutes, and then uh, once the defense kind of ratcheted up on their side, I think we kind of shied away from contact, and they became a little bit more physical. Um, as you can see some of the stat lines, they uh, had a lot of offensive rebounds. Um, and they were really physical in trying to get us out of our offensive sets, uh, which is which was, worked really well for us. But I think this is an aberration because this is something you don't see often from our team. I know what's good about this coaching staff and these players is uh, we're not going to pass on it. They beat us last night, but uh, today we're going to bounce back and have a good practice. Uh, the coaches have a new plan for us, and we're going to work hard and move past it uh, rather than dwell on it. So I think that's something that will be great to see in the next few games. We play Michigan State twice coming up, but uh, it's about how we're going to bounce back. I think we really can do that. You know, CJ, I understand when I ask this question, I'm not – 
I don't want it framed as an excuse. You guys, I heard the, you know, whether it was Zay after the game, uh, Austin owned this loss, as did Juwan. But I just wonder, I mean, you guys have five games in nine days. This was the sandwich game. You traveled back from from IU. There's a lot of basketball in a small period of time, in a short period of time. I just wonder if in this game could do you think the the guys felt their legs or lack thereof just a little bit more in this contest uh, in a way they hadn't in games prior to that? Um, so I, I actually think that I, I know you said this is kind of the middle game, but I think our guys are really amped for this game. We wanted to play this game. It's top five matchup at home against a really good team that we know has been picked. It was preseason pick to win the Big Ten, so we kind of were excited about that. Um, I honestly was. Uh, would think that people would be like our team, especially, would be less excited or less um, locked in to play the IU game. Uh, that game was kind of sandwiched in between two top ten matchups as well. Um, and I think it kind of comes with the game now. I just kind of got to adapt with COVID. Other um, games in nine days, and uh, our coaching staff and our guys are really trying to take a good mind to recovery, making sure we're uh, taking care of our bodies, eating right, sleeping well, doing all of that. So um, something that Coach Howard. Said, all you guys, the guys you want to play in the NBA or want to play professionally, this is what the schedule is like. Mm-hmm. This is good preparation for a future beyond college. So I think what we've emphasized is that recovery and uh, making no excuses, even though it's our, so we have five games in nine days. Um, I think a lot of other teams are going through that, and uh, we just got to battle through. You know, you made a tweet uh, after the Ohio State victory that really resonated with everyone who who loves Michigan. And for those who haven't seen it, uh, CJ, he he wrote, he said, I wasn't on the bench for this game, but I drove down to watch today in Columbus. First thing, after a top five win, Juwan Howard pointed to me in the stands, hit his chest. That's culture. And that's how he treats all our players. And I know you were were referencing Juwan, saying, hey, you know, him recognizing me, a guy who wasn't on the bench for this game, after such a momentous victory is culture. But I thought, I looked at it a different way, CJ, to drive down for the game and to be in the stands for the game, to me, that's as much culture as Jawan pointing to the pointing to you uh, in the stands. Just that, that whole thing kind of speaks to what you have going on to me. Yeah, and I think that that, that tweet and that kind of that whole moment was really special. Um, I, I know the coaching staff, uh, especially a place that, within driving distance out of the other walk-on, Brandon Wade, who's a fantastic player as well. We both drove down. Um, and I think it's kind of my, my going down there and wanting to be there is inspired by the culture and by the staff we have here. I mean, the guys really get us in order. They really support us in everything that we do. Um, and I really want to return that support and be a part of something that's bigger than me, like I said earlier. Um, going down to Columbus, it's a three-and-a-half-hour drive. Probably drove seven hours that day from Ann Arbor. And, it was totally worth it. One, to see a win, and two, to support my teammates uh, and support the coaching staff that's given so much to me. So I, I think it is it is cool, and it's cool that we are able to do stuff like that, like go to those games and be a part of that, even though we couldn't be on the bench. But I think it's, uh, it's a little, like it's something little that I could do to repay everything that Coach Howard and the staff has done for me. CJ, Coach Howard is so stoic and calm and poised. What's he like in practice? What was he like after the game? Does he get into you guys a little bit? Is he can he be a yeller and a screamer at times, or is he always under control like that? Yes, actually, um, one example I could give was uh, our first loss against Minnesota, and uh, we 
we got blown out. We got we got beaten pretty handily there. And I think that was something that um the coaches took to heart. And uh the first, like we went in the locker room after the game and uh Coach Howard kinda of said, Okay, we're not gonna let this hurt us, kinda of like yesterday's game, we're not gonna let this hurt us. We're gonna learn from it and become better. Um and I guess in his mindset uh, becoming better is being tougher on us in practice. So the next day at practice, um, we were kind of talking about how Liam Robbins, uh, the big from Minnesota, was uh, kind of running the floor, and he's a, he's a he's a finesse, like really skilled big. And uh, coach was getting on Hunter about being more physical with guys like that, uh, stand down, staying in front of him, don't want him to get any easy shots. Hunter had a tough game the day before. Um, Robbins did a really good job against him, but coach really raised his voice and kind of motivated us. But uh, I think what's good about that is even though coach can raise his voice and be a yeller sometimes, I think people know that it's about the message, not the tone. Um, that's something that's really resonated with us this year is uh, no matter what, if coach is kind of talking to us on a level, like in, in Keel or if he's yelling, uh, you got to listen to how he's coaching. Because um, coaches can get mad. Coaches can get emotional because this is this is something they put a lot of, they put their whole lives into. And uh, we just want to make sure we learn from it and uh, Coach Howard does a really good job of that. Even though he's yelling, it's not a personal attack. It's the coaching moment. Interesting. Um, CJ, so one of the, the, the roles of a walk-on is you're on the scout team. You learn the other team's plays before practice, and then in preparation for a game, you'll run plays. Um, so when you're in practice, who are you covering? And, and if you can give us a scouting report on them. And I also want to know, in your four years, who is the guy? Who is the best player, the most consistent performer that, that has been a teammate of yours? So that's a multi-level question. Um, I guess on the, to answer your first question, uh, I usually play a three-four-man, so I'm like a small forward, power forward player in practice. Um, so I'm usually guarding Franz or Isaiah, uh, Terrence Williams, um, even Adrian Nunez on some occasions. Uh, so those kind of guys are like highly skilled kind of hybrid forwards. So uh, obviously Franz is a six ten NBA prospect, and I'm a six four accounting major. So that's definitely <laughs> a little tougher, a little tougher of a matchup. But I think something that's been really impressive about him and Isaiah, because I guard them the most. Um, Isaiah is obviously a fantastic spot up shooter, and uh, Franz is just really crafty. Uh, his ball handling has really improved, and his finishing around the rim has really improved. Um, so the things that I try to do, especially against Isaiah, is getting off the three-point line. I mean, he is just—it's—it's it's easier said than done. Too, he's an absolutely amazing shooter. He's even improved his mid-range game too. But I try to run him off the line and get him going towards the basket more. With Franz too, I think he's—he's so, he's so improved as a ball handler, and he's really got a high IQ. Um, so one of the things you kind of got to do is, as I try to do, is speed him up a little bit, um, force him to his left. He can make tougher decisions with the ball in a shorter amount of time. Um, but again, it's like something that you see with NBA players, such as like Luke Doncic. Franz has a really good pace of the game. He has a lot of sped up, kind of like Doncic does in the NBA. Um, so it's really hard to do that. And, uh, I guess to answer your other question about the most consistent performer, I have to go back to uh, my freshman year. Uh, Muhammad Abdurrahman was uh, probably the most consistent player I've played with. Uh, here at Michigan, I think he's consistent uh, in his leadership style. He's consistent emotionally. He's consistent on the court. He does the things he's asked, and he does. I, I don't think he does anything outside of his game. Uh, he wasn't asked to be a 30-point-per-game scorer because we had Mo and we had Duncan. We had a young Isaiah coming up. but And uh, we didn't have Jordan Poole off the bench who's putting up good numbers. But Muhammad was always a really consistent shooter, a consistent defender, uh, did what the coaches asked, didn't complain. Um, 
was he was a great leader by example in the locker room because he was kind of a quiet voice, but kind of that, like I said, that consistency that he had uh, was really set an example for the rest of us. And I think having a rock solid person like that um, is really important for a locker room culture. And I'd say Muhammad was the best. You know, I have a question about your process when it comes to the scout. You know, how coaches are are scouting, you know, games in advance uh, to get ready. You got, you know, different assistants that are assigned different opponents. And I'm curious, you know, how far in advance of a game do you sort of start to get a a bead on what you're going to be doing or what a team does? And do you start watching teams, other teams on your own as part of your preparation? Uh, yes, actually, I do start watching uh, a lot of teams in my preparation. Uh, in particular, I watch like a lot of high-profile like Ohio State, Iowa. I watch most of the Illinois games. I watch most of the Michigan State games. I try to make sure I watch at least two to three games prior. Um, like if we're playing Penn State next, I try to watch a couple of games before, see who they're playing, and kind of look at their tendencies. And I keep that in the back of my mind. Um, but the coaches usually, I would say, in Usually it's five games prior the coaches are looking at breaking down film. Uh, I think the coaches do a really good job of this, too, is they they really, like, even if we play a team second time, like, later in the season, um, like the Maryland game, we played them, like, three or two weeks later, and they did something completely different to the lineup, and the coaches were already on top of that. Uh, even though it was two weeks away, we weren't just relying on our last game with them for film. It was what they had done in the next couple games. They had changed up their lineup. I mean, they beat Illinois on the road with a small lineup, and then we were kind of anticipating that in our game. So uh, I think kind of those adjustments have been really important, and that's something that we as a scout team really pride ourselves on, um, is being ready for that when the coaches tell us. And in games that we've watched, I mean, I've watched, especially a guy in Maryland, uh, I mentioned uh, Dante Scott, um, is a really important player to their offense. He, When they went small against Illinois, he became a five-man. And the coaches kind of told me I had to adjust my game to that, like play more pick-and-pop rather than a post-up four. Um, and I was ready to do that, and I'm kind of really grateful for the coaches on top of that because it, it definitely helps me look better on the court sometimes. Right, right, right. And so that being the case, you you watch teams in, in advance. What do you see? What do you see when you look at this year's Michigan State team? You're going to face them twice here to end the regular season. What can we expect from the Spartans? Um, so I, I think something that's really telling is their physicality. Um, they play. Yeah, I've noticed this too as Coach Izzo puts out a uh, four center lineup in the first half that they'll play. Bingham, it's, it kind of, their starting lineup changes so much that it's kind of hard to predict, but they'll play Marble, Bingham, Kiffier, and Sissoko at the end of the first half. Um, so he wants to rotate those bigs, challenge uh, the really good Big Ten bigs by making them physical. And um, yeah, they'll use their fouls too. They're not afraid in there and get dirty. <laughs> and if they're a little you noticed that, did you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. I mean, you saw the Illinois game. But the thing that's amazing about it is it worked. They beat Illinois. They were physical with them. They were, they were getting them to do what they wanted them to do by pushing them around, even if it cost them a few fouls here or there. Um, and I guess another thing the Spartans do really well is they uh, have Aaron Aaron Henry's obviously a key point of their offense. But kind of like uh, Franz, he's really good at his pace. He's not taking rush shots. He's making sure he gets the best plays for himself. Um, actually, for example, yesterday, they were playing Indiana. I got home after the game and watched the end of it. And uh, Henry had a switch with Race Thompson at the top of the key. And uh, with the shot clock winding down, uh, something that a lot of freshmen or younger guys would do is they would kind of force a contested three. But Henry took his time, even though there's five seconds left, got Thompson off his feet a little bit and got an easy got in the lane for an easy floater to kind of ice the game. Um, so kind of that maturity that's come from him, maturity from Langford, 
is uh, something that you'll see from the guard spot that's uh, really tough to deal with sometimes. So, CJ, we um, we really appreciate it. Uh, you've done a fantastic job, and we're, we're really, really proud of you. Um, one question that I know millennials everywhere will want to know, over the course of your four years, how many shoes have you been given? How many sweatsuits, and where do you keep them all? <laughs> so, I'd say it's, I don't even have a number. I think we got... We get quite a few. We get quite a few different things every year, and uh, what's been good is I can keep some in my house in Novi because I only live like half an hour away. Um, but I usually keep the most recent stuff with me for the year. I send the rest home to Novi, kind of like all folded up or like on hangers over there. So I, I always had some visiting gear on me. There's never a shortage. But is, um, is that is that number? Is it above thirty shoes or is it below? Oh, it's above, yeah. It's got to be. It's got to be forties. I'd say in the forties. It's unbelievable, and it's great for me too because I have a big. I have a size sixteen shoe, and I usually have trouble finding like comfortable basketball shoes. I had a lot of problems in high school, and now it's just the normal. Like I'm a mid sized guy on our team, and they have sixteen size sixteen shoes up the wazoo. So I'm so excited about that, and I can get as many pairs as I need. Well, I'm a sixteen also, so you and I need to talk a little bit later. All right. <laughs> Sounds all good. Right. Thanks a lot, CJ. Thanks, CJ. Go beat Michigan State. Good luck. Yes, thank you so much. Tim, I think if you weren't informed about how connected this team is, if you couldn't glean it from watching them on the bench, you certainly can from listening to CJ talk about how important the team is to him and how important he is to the team. Well, he's um he's really smart. Okay, he, he's a smart guy, and his basketball IQ is is just so impressive. And think about you know listening to John Beeline and transitioning to Juwan Howard, and and all the things that he's learned. You can't help but get really smart. I do think that he could step in and be a high school coach, just based on what I've heard. And and the other thing is, I've watched CJ play at practices over and over. He's really good. He he could have played at Kalamazoo College for Jay Smith, um, and and he he competes against guys that that go on to play in the NBA. Um, and so when you see guys over there that that are are cheering and jumping up and down and high fiving, you know they're they're way more than than glorified cheerleaders. These guys can play, and if they miss a shot when they've been sitting there on the sideline for two hours when they get in at the end, it has nothing to do with the fact that other than they're 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 tight. They're probably a little bit nervous, but these guys are good ball players, right? They absolutely are. Uh, and as you said, I mean, one of the reasons why Michigan is so good is because the guys on the bench, the support they offer during the game is outstanding. But the preparation, the preparation for opponents is outstanding as well. Case in point, he's watching team just like coaches are preparing games in advance. He's out watching games on his own. And I thought he gave a great scouting report uh, for Michigan State, which is a great segue for us. And something he said really resonated with me because I've said it a lot in talking about Michigan State. You know, they many most teams, they talk about points per game and uh, they talk about, you know, rebounding rate and all that. Michigan State, I bet you a stat they hold up. They this how many fouls did you have, right? You know, they're they're big. They use those fouls, Tim. I, I said that in, on, on my show. They do not waste them. They use them all. I mean, you look at the game against Illinois, Marble fouled out. Uh Bingham. Uh no, Kithier fouled out. Bingham had four fouls. Uh Mati Sissoko had three fouls before he was thrown out of the game. That's what they did. To Kofi Coburn, they just beat him up, ran a lot of bodies at him, used all those fouls. 
you got to imagine they're going to have a lot of that in store for, for Hunter Dickinson as well. This will be the most physical game of the year, both of them actually. And and there's something about this rivalry that, that, that just brings out a lot of care. Guys, guys just want to win this game so bad. And Hunter Dickinson will find out immediately because he'll see the intensity in the locker room. He'll, he'll look in Isaiah Liver's eyes as he's going through the layup line. Um, and it was a real wake-up call for me. My freshman year, um, we played at Jenison Fieldhouse. And I don't know where the fire marshal was that day, but he was not in this building. because <laughs> There were people standing everywhere. And it was so incredibly loud and physical. And, and I remember getting put into the game and I was covering Jay Vincent. And he killed me. I, I mean, I was amazed at how hard he played. And one of the very first plays, um, I, I stole the ball near half court. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I've got a breakaway dunk in, in a nationally televised game in Jenison. And I went down and dunked it. And the referee came running up to me and he gave me a technical foul. It was the only T I ever received in college. It was so loud. I swear, I never heard the whistle stop the play. There was a foul on it. And, and so my very first play was a technical at Jenison Field. Why did he, wait, what, you got fouled? Is that why he stopped the play? No, what happened was there was, there was sort of a loose ball, and the guys were, were going for it. And I came swooping in, and I thought I made the play of the year. <laughs> and the referee said that there was a foul on the floor. And so before I grabbed the loose ball, um, you know, he had blown it dead. But I never heard him. And I guess they thought I was trying to showboat or something. But <laughs> Tim McCormick? Uh, they didn't know yeah. who they were talking to, man. Uh, who they were talking nope. about. So no, but this is um this is gonna be this is gonna be a, a great battle. And the Spartans are playing so much better. Um, I think that they really struggled after the COVID pause. And and unlike Michigan, whose players were completely healthy, I think that Michigan State, their players went through a lot of a lot of the illness and, and dealt with the virus. And as we've seen, a lot of teams that go through that, it takes a while. Um, when, when you're looking at the Spartans, they're playing their best ball right now. Aaron Henry's tough to cover. And, and I, I love the matchup of he and Franz. Uh, Josh Langford is like that 10-year NBA vet. He's seen a lot. He's got great pride. He's been a part of a lot of wins versus Michigan. I would expect him to have a really big game. Point guard is their weakness. And Michigan State has turned... Um, their turnover issues are a real problem for them. So I think it's a great idea to pressure their ball handlers. I don't think the Spartans perimeter guys are reliable. That's Michigan's big advantage. And then at center, they've got those four big guys. You know, Bingham is a shot blocker. Kithier moves his feet pretty well. Marble's very physical. They've got a lot of options. So Hunter has got to play his best game. Austin's got to be strong. And, And then the other thing is, if Michigan plays defense, that'll that'll help them on the break. Michigan State has struggled to score, and everybody knows it. And so, if you keep them in a half court game, uh, get some transition points. I think I think that Michigan um, can definitely win by by a big number at home, and then in in Breslin, that's going to be a tough one. Yeah, and re- you mentioned Josh Langford. I watched that Illinois game. I thought he was. I thought he was the difference from Michigan State and mm-hmm. and difference on the glass. I mean, he must have had, you know, 14, 15 rebounds in that game, Tim. I mean, he rebounded like a big man. 
uh, in that contest. And so ball watching, this is a great, this is a great sort of preview. If you want to look at glass half full, you know, some of your backcourt guys don't ball watch in this game. You, you had better, everyone had better be boxing out in this contest. And I don't think Juwan Howard is going to have any problem hammering that point home uh, heading into this game. And I think your other point, you mentioned Austin Davis, Brandon Johns too. Look, they have bodies that they can throw at Hunter Dickinson. And and, and that wears on you. That, I don't care how your good your conditioning is. If they're coming at you in waves, guy after guy after guy, banging on you all the time, it, it's got to take its toll a little bit. So I, I just I feel like Austin, you, you know he's going to be a presence. He was the, maybe the best offensive player for Michigan in the game against Illinois. But I think they're going to need a few more minutes from Brandon Johns too. I, I agree with that, and and it just seems like if if you're going to go into the the tournament and expect that a freshman is going to carry you, that's a lot to ask. And and remember, Hunter Hunter was not the starter on this Michigan team to start the season, so we know that that Austin can can carry the load. Can can if there's some foul trouble, if there's some mm-hmm. issues, he is. Like, is there a better backup center in the Big Ten? I don't I, think so. I don't think there is either. So um, it, it's it's center by committee, but but if if Hunter stays on the court, you know he's got a chance to be the best player on the court. We've seen that a lot of times this year. Yes, sir. And just just know what to expect because these guys, as physical as Illinois was, you're absolutely right, Tim. Uh, this is another level. If even Illinois, I think Underwood after that game said they muck it up. They they get they get real grimy over there, and of course they knocked Ayu Desumu out. With a broken nose, Mati Sissoko is. So, again, there's a different level of physicality in this contest. And we can close this way, Tim. I I wonder if it's a, you know, if you're coming off a defeat like that to Illinois, uh, you know, getting blown out on your home floor, I wonder if it's a blessing in disguise to have a rival. Not not that, you know, I'm not saying that you you take Michigan State, that like this, this pushover thing, but I think it's easier to get up. I think it's easier to, to put that game the emotional aspect of it, uh, the loss to Illinois behind you when you got a contest, an opponent, a rivalry like Michigan State to look forward to. Absolutely. There's no question. And when when Michigan's players put their head on the pillow after the Illinois game, I can promise you that they were a little bit unsettled. They were uneasy. They couldn't wait to get back in the gym. Their weightlifting sessions a little bit more intense. The, the film sessions, everybody's eyes are 100% focused on what the coaches are saying. Everybody around the program is, is thinking about tomorrow night's game against Michigan State. I promise you that, that they will come out with, with just, you know, the hair on fire. I don't even know what that means. I've heard that saying. But, you know, they're, they're going to be as high energy as you've seen them. Gotcha. All right, Tim. So that puts a wrap to this week's edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider. The next time we come on, the regular season will have been over. So I'm going put to put it to you, Tim. Two games against Michigan State. What's the record? How does it play two, out? 2-0, two 2-0, and oh, two and, oh, two and, oh. and And once again, I thought they would have split if Michigan beats Illinois because they would have been prone for a letdown. But but no, I think Juwan's got their attention, 2-0. and oh. Gotcha. All right, folks, uh, be sure to tune in for next time. Uh, Until then, uh, be sure to rate and review this podcast. If you've already done that, just tell your friends all about it. They can find this podcast wherever they get 
their podcast, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, any of those platforms. Just search Michigan Insider Podcast and look for the Michigan Basketball Insider. Until then, folks, thanks for listening to the Michigan Basketball Insider.